The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The Wizards podcast hosts are not real. They are stupid cartoon people completely made up by this Arizona guy whom we hardly even know. The Wizards podcast hosts are nerdy, geeky, immature, self-deprecating dorks. But for some reason, the little wienerheads make us laugh. And welcome to episode 30 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard magazine, getting ready to play some frog baseball. I'm Michael. And just wrapping up his shift at Burger World, I'm Steven. Now, if the quotes don't make it obvious, the cover stars of this month's issue are the iconic 90s cartoon duo Beavis and Butthead. And though I spent $15 on this issue, I still have not opened the cover. <laughs> way, way to go, fart knocker. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and joining us for this episode is a retro pop culture fan who is clearly smarter than us. No, it's not Daria. Welcome to the show, Stacy Raider, a.k.a. Geeky underscore Vixen on Twitter. Stacy, please tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of your origin story. Sure. So uh, I actually learned to read through comics. My... Me too. <laughs> so I've been a comic fan for a long time. I read comics as a kid, mostly Archie comics, and then moved on to Batman and the Outsiders. Oh, nice! Uh, Very cool. <laughs> they just released it in trade. I'm wanna, I want to like rebuy the whole trade now. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's it's really good stuff. And then just randomly bought comics here and there, things like Alf comics and oh, I love Alf comics <laughs> stuff that uh, piqued my interest. And then gave up comics for a while because when I was in high school, you know, it wasn't cool for girls to read comics. So I tried to be quote unquote normal. And uh, <laughs> then uh, then in college, uh, started working at a bookstore and discovered graphic novels like ghost world and blankets and realized that uh, there was a whole world of comics I didn't know anything about. And then when my husband and I started dating, he collected action figures and bought them at the comic book store. And so I started buying comics again. And the rest has been pop culture history because we live in a house full of comics and toys now. <laughs> but, yeah, awesome. we can see them behind you. It, it's yeah. quite the collection. It is yeah. pretty awesome. I'm, I'm very impressed and quite jealous as well. To piggyback one thing you did say is in high school with regards to comics unless you're adam it was also kind of like 
taboo. We were I, I always had to like shield my comic nerdiness in high school. It wasn't until like after college when I could kind of like reintroduce myself back into comics as well. But I have a really, really interesting question for you. You mentioned Batman and the Outsiders, and I'm a big fan. Who's mm-hmm. your favorite outsider? Halo. Me too! Yay! <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm very happy to hear that. That's great. Yeah. She is one of the most underutilized characters in DC Comics, in my opinion, personally. I agree. So. I agree totally. <laughs> So Stacy, where did you grow up? I grew up all over Tennessee pretty much my whole life and then moved a couple of years ago to Indiana. Oh, <laughs> so, very cool. Yeah. And where were you buying your comic books? Were there comic book stores or was it mostly the newsstand? Mostly, from what I remember, Walden Books was yeah. where I bought yeah. most of my comics. Yeah. Uh, or in Nashville, there was a used book and record store called The Great Escape, which was the greatest store ever. That sounds awesome. Records uh, and, and used books. Oh, that sounds yeah. so cool. Yeah. And and now they used to have a an old location downtown Nashville, and they closed that one. And they, they have a a new location that I actually haven't been to. And well, it's not new anymore. <laughs> but now they sell toys and movies and all kinds of stuff. So it was really one of those things where my uncle lived in Nashville and he fueled a lot of my love of pop culture. And so he would just hand me, you know, five bucks and get a, you know, ask them to give me a crate to stand on. And I just dig through quarter bins and find random stuff to read because I would read anything you put in front of me. Now, what got you interested in Archie in particular? That was the comic my mom read when she was a kid. So that's what she started me on. Now, do you watch the show on the CW? I don't. I tried it. I, I couldn't get into it. I watched maybe the first couple episodes of the first season. It wasn't wasn't my my thing. It just didn't have that same Archie feel as the mm-hmm. comics, you know? Oh, see, I yeah. really like all the Archie stuff. And I actually was a huge Archie fan as a kid. I was always picking up, you know, the Jughead Double Digest and all those supermarket books. And yep. I really like the way that they keep reinventing that brand for each new decade. Like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is such a fun comic book series. Mm-hmm. with beautiful artwork and beautiful writing. I highly recommend that one. I do yeah. like that. I like. I also like the uh, the Netflix show of, of Sabrina as well. I like it better than the, the CW show. Also, have you guys read like the Veronica when she goes like a vampire and those kind of things that are, they're doing recently? Yep, Vampironica. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I like it. Yeah. I don't know why. It's, it's, Ju- it's Jughead's a werewolf in one. <laughs> That's pretty cool. They're going for it. And Afterlife with Archie, which is like, you know, this big zombie Archie storyline that kind of kicked off the Riverdale series. Yeah, I like a lot of the music crossovers, too. Like my my, two of my favorite issues were the the Archies meet the monkeys and uh, the one with the Mm B-52s. Those are great. Like you get to enjoy some of your favorite bands and the Archies. Like it's just it's it's fun. Now I just thinking about Archie and B-52s and I have that song from the B-52s in my head now. You mean the Flintstone song or the other one? The other one. Oh, sorry. Love Shack. Oh, oh. <laughs> my brain. Like rock Lobster? No. Not <laughs> Please. Oh, great. I'm going to add these in my nightmares now. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I, I appreciate it very much. How did you very... ever get invited back on the show? <laughs> Stacy, what are some of the things that you collect? Because I can see some stuff back there. Um everything okay um so we we have a pretty substantial star wars collection in here is mostly my stuff which is like godzilla um monster toys Uh, behind me is like 
music toys because I have my speakers back there. So it's like the Kenner Bill and Ted, Muppets, like Electric Mayhem. Oh, um, awesome. Transformers, like Soundwave and Blaster. They're doing I a collect- Hot Toys Bill and Ted, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. Which costume are they wearing? Excellent uh, Adventure, Bogus Journey. What's excellent going on? Adventure. Excellent okay. Adventure. Uh, yeah. So, and and uh, most of my quote unquote girl toys are in here, like my childhood gem, um, oh, gem. strawberry gem shortcake, and the holograms. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. So, and then um, what you can't see behind me next to the comic rack is my Kenner Aliens collection. Do you have oh, a spindle rack nice. in your room? Is that a spindle? I do. Rack? Yeah, it's that is fantastic. I, I have cool. another one over here, um, but it's it's where my my magazines are. That's awesome. I and then it. we have four hanging comic racks in the house. Nice. Oh wow! Adam just texted me. Has Stacy shown you her collection? It's amazing. <laughs> 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 and I said, yes, she has told us about we have seen it. It is quite impressive. We are we are quite pleased. <laughs> Speaking You've of only co- seen a fraction of it. I, I know. I, I have this like microcosm of your collection, and I'm like, ooh, I'm very curious. <laughs> so, Steven, what do we got in Willie Lumpkin's mailbag? Well, Michael, fists are flying in the pages of Willie Lumpkin's mailbag, but it's not between superheroes. It's between creators. Letter number one is uh, a letter from Stephen J. Mazarski, who's the publisher of Valiant Comics. It says, and I quote, we at Valiant have never responded to false accusations made against us, but instead concentrated on making and marketing good comics. That's debatable. However, when someone I genuinely like and respect misunderstands the facts and misses the point, I believe I must correct the record for his sake, our sake, and the sake of Wizard's reader's entitlement to the truth. So who is Mazursky referring to? Barry Windsor Smith. To quote Mazursky, in The Road to Ruin, Wizard number 28, Barry Windsor Smith stated that I negotiated with him on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. In point of fact, extensive negotiations went on for over six months. So this letter goes on to lay out in great detail all of the various levels of these negotiations, with lawyers and contracts. And basically, he just keeps saying how much Windsor Smith is lying. To sum it up, Mazursky says, I hate to be painted a bad guy by a man who I consider to be a friend. Perhaps someday I'll have the opportunity to sit down with Barry face to face and dispel some of these misunderstandings. I look forward to that meeting. Yikes. Talk about an airing of grievances. It's it's like Festivus come early, but seriously, they're just airing their beefs in like the pages of Wizard. It's really, really heated. Sending a letter to the editor laying out all of your problems with another, you know, creator. It's very bold. Would you say, would you say unprofessional even? I would call it unprofessional. Sure. I, w- I would give it that. Yeah. It's this... subtweeting before subtweeting was a thing. That's a very good point. I like that. I like that. I'm going to call it now. It's, it's the subtweet of Wizard. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. And it's funny because that happened in Wizard number 28, and this is Wizard number 30. So he had to wait two months to get his get a point response. across. Oh, wow. He just did many revisions of this letter before he sent it in. <laughs> he really stewed about it before he sent that thing. I could imagine. So, And if you think that beef was bad, wait until you get a load of this beef. This is basically John Byrne calling out Todd McFarlane for his business ethics and saying he's kind of bankrupting all these small comic book stores. This is like, if you thought the last one was kind of 
pointed and angry. This is way more <laughs> pointed and angry. Dear Wizard, Disputing Todd McFarlane is at best a pointless exercise. What color is the sky in your world, Todd? But for the sake of accuracy and history, it frequently becomes essential that something be committed to print in response to his... Uh, ramblings. Let's take the toddler's shoe store analogy, for instance, ending the speculation, EGO, wizard number 27. He maintains that image does no harm, and to prove his point, suggests that if his mother opened a shoe store, it would make no difference to anyone if she thrived or went out of business. This is a clever Toddism. If one refutes him, one is dangerously close in Todd logic to attacking his mom. But I frequently rush in where wise men fear to tread, so Mrs. McFarlane, when your son tells you I was calling you bad names, ask to see the printed page. First of all, the analogy does not work. Since Image is not a retailer, a shoe store, but a manufacturer, a shoe factory. In that context, the analogy properly stated would be that having had huge success working for Nike, Todd's mom struck out on her own and opened McFarlane Footwear, manufacturing shoes almost identical to the ones which she had made for Nike. However, without the corporate management of Nike behind her, Mrs. McFarlane soon fell behind in her production schedule. She simply was not able to meet the demand for her product. Fair enough. This happens. Unfortunately, Mrs. McFarlane has a slightly skewed concept of business ethics, and not only continued to collect money on orders she would not be able to fill on time, but actually expanded her line, constantly announcing new shoes, for which she likewise collected money. Since McFarlane footwear was so popular, many shoe store owners tolerated this for quite some time. Although the McFarlane shoes rarely came in on time, when they did finally arrive, the shoe store owners could count on a big profit. Unfortunately, as the Phantom product increasingly outnumbered the real shoes, those same owners found their budgets stretched to the breaking point. They did not have the money, for instance, to buy the shoes of other, smaller manufacturers. These smaller manufacturers began to feel the pinch. You know, the pinch like a, like a shoe, like a tight shoe would, would pinch. That was Rob. I just took a quick aside from John Byrne's interminable shoe store analogy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get right back to the letter now. Some went broke. Even Nike lost some of its market share. Some shoe store owners, pigs, as Todd would call them, had been so loyal to and supportive of McFarlane footwear, had sunk so much of their revenue, some of it potential, into the McFarlane shoes that they could not pay their creditors and themselves went bankrupt. Or belly up, as Mrs. McFarlane's son likes to put it. The net result of this? Many small manufacturers lost outlets. Many customers lost their familiar local shoe store. Where everybody knows your name. Sorry, that was me again. That's Rob. Get back to, back to the letter. I'm just really tired of this shoe store thing. And Mrs. McFarlane, saying that those greedy pigs got nothing more than they deserved, continued to thrive on the money she had made from all that late and imaginary product. 
Oh, and there's a second reason Todd's shoe analogy does not work. John, you're going to tell us that second reason, right? And probably 10 more after? Okay, let's keep going. We in the comics industry live in a strangely isolated, sheltered world. Things which happen routinely in comics. Plagiarism, for example, traditionally called swiping or homage, are frowned upon and frequently illegal in the real world. If a shoe factory really did operate as the imaginary McFarlane footwear is here postulated as doing, the vast and ponderous weight of the government would thunder down upon it with so much force as to splatter the pieces across half of creation. And even were the admittedly myopic Uncle Sam to miss the ethical transgressions of McFarlane footwear, store owners themselves would band together in a class-action suit and pummel Mrs. McFarlane into pulp in order to recoup at least some of their losses. In the real world, you see, the law protects retailers from unscrupulous manufacturers, and vice versa. I wonder why nobody thinks this is also the case in comics. John Byrne, shoe fetishist, Fairfield, Connecticut. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Weird. Thanks, Rob Graham, a.k.a. The Good Rob, for reading this. So, what do we think of this? I, I guess, I mean... A lot of beef going on in issue number 30. They were like waiting for this. <laughs> Let's throw this out into the universe. Well, and then Todd McFarlane calls attention to it again in his uh, column where he tries to point out how right he is for calling <laughs> comic book store owners. I think he calls them pigs. Is Rob Liefeld like ghostwriting for him? <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> the, the column isn't even, you know, like a written column. It's just two pictures one of like the most ordered book that month, and then one of like one of the least ordered books that month, which was a, a Jack Kirby book. And he's saying that they are pigs for under ordering Jack Kirby, and that's his defense. Ugh, so wow. anyway, that's yeah, petty. <laughs> it, yes, it is. Uh, so now for letter number three, we're kind of going away from uh, beef in the terms of conflict and another type of beef. So Stacy, take it away. Dear Wizard. A while back, I went into a Mickey D's along with my comics for the week. As I was ordering, the manager came up to me and said, Hey, you collect comics too. Well, proud of my hobby, I replied, Yes, I do. This manager got all excited and said, Me too. Now to me, anybody who collects comics is a good dude or a dudette. So I proceeded to converse with him. The first thing I asked him was, Of course, what do you read? To my surprise, he answered that he didn't read anything on a regular basis. He just collected cover-enhanced issues and first issues. That really tripped me out. I asked him, so do you read anything at all? He said, no, not really, and started to tell me about all the collectible issues in his collection. I was really insulted that I even wasted my time on that fool when I could have been reading my comics. I doubt that he or anyone else like him will read this letter, but by some divine chance, if even one of these fools is reading this letter, do us all a favor and stop it, please. You're killing one of the many forms of art and literature, and I, along with many others, I'm sure, am tired of it. It comes to you via Frank Carrera III of Houston, Texas. So Wizard's response was, yeah, and we want fries with that. <laughs> so, so what's your take on this young man's very passionate defense of reading comics? I don't disagree, honestly. I mean, he's very passionate about it, and I don't know that I would scream at people to stop it, because in terms of the comics industry, 
they don't care why you're buying comics as long as you're buying them. And more people buy comics, the more comics they put out. So it's good for everybody. So from a business perspective, meh, whatever. But I do agree with him. I've been to conventions where there have been people who have just been going around to the creators to get sketches or signatures or whatever. And they're literally, you know, the resellers because they have a booth across the way from Artist Alley. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those people, I, I, Sometimes when he'll stop it too, but uh, you know, from a business perspective, people buying comics is not a bad thing. And this was obviously the height of that. People just kind of using it as a almost like 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 playing the stock market with comic books, thinking, oh, this will someday this you know this cover will be worth a million dollars. I will say, in the manager of McDonald's, you know, defense, he's a manager of McDonald's. If he just wants <laughs> to find his pleasure in collecting comic books give the guy a break exactly it's a thankless job come on like he just (laughs) and he's trying to talk to you make a conversation maybe frank Carrera the third can be a little bit more down to earth about it yeah i mean i i get the feeling that if you encountered frank now he would probably be one of those gatekeepers that you know (laughs) didn't (laughs) didn't want girls to collect although he did mention dudettes so maybe not but but he would definitely be one of those people that's a comics purist that would say you know, you probably find him in an online forum talking about everything that the Marvel Cinematic Universe gets wrong or, you know, why why the Snyder Cut, like demanding that the Snyder Cut be, be released because we deserve to see it. So, you know, I don't know. But uh, if, if Frank Carrera III is still out there, uh, I hope he's still as passionate about comics as he was. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always curious about what happens to people who write to Wizard. That's like one of my weird ticks on this show. I'm always like, what happens to these guys after they yeah. write this very passionate defense? Maybe the manager of McDonald's is now the CEO. Maybe he was really good with <laughs> figuring things out. And maybe I, comic speculation worked out for him. He sold some. <laughs> he sold some of his valiant number ones and uh, was able yeah, maybe, to buy a timeshare. <laughs> maybe he was the one guy that made money off of it. Yeah. So yeah, so so let's move on to Wizard News. So this month, uh, we've got some big news coming out of Marvel Comics and Image Comics. It says, Rising star Stephen Platt, fresh from his eye-opening stint on Marvel Comics Moon Knight, has left Marvel for Image Comics. Starting with issue number five of Extreme Studios' Profit, Platt will jump on board as penciler, inker, and co-plotter. Uh, obviously, Stephen Platt was the hot McFarlane-esque artist uh, and was really starting to make a name for himself. To quote Platt, Profit is fairly unestablished, and I'd like to bring in a definitive Profit, much in the way that Frank Miller brought in the definitive Daredevil or Todd McFarlane brought in the definitive Spider-Man. The article notes that Platt will no longer be doing Marvel's Cable Book, which he'd been announced as the artist for. So that's kind of a a change of pace. Do you know Stephen Platt at all? Does that name ring any bells? It does, just because I've seen so many issues of Profit and 50 Cent Bins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I've, I've definitely seen that name. I'm sure I, I have some random issue of something that, <laughs> that he's been a part of. He's one of those people that when you see his, his work, you're like, oh, that's from the 90s, for sure. Oh, 100%. No question. Yeah. And the whole comparison to Todd McFarlane is very fair. But at Mm -hmm. that time, Moon Knight was such a big deal. It it was a strange period because I don't think I don't think of Moon Knight as this major character, but he made it, you know, a hot book. Uh, So it's weird that he's jumping ship so quickly to quickly to go to profit, which, Mm -hmm. as you said, is is now lining the 50 cent bins. Yeah. 
Which is the interesting thing as I was flipping through this issue is there's so much of this. I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) I've seen a lot of these things and they did not hold their value. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in other news, Cry for Dawn, an independent publisher, is splitting up. And the end of Cry for Dawn was not a friendly one. Uh, Apparently, as is the theme for this issue, there was beef between the two co-founders and it ended in a very, very ugly fashion. Uh, But moving on from that, Harvey Comics makes a deal to produce Hanna-Barbera books. Harris Comics will launch a new Vampirella comic in March titled Vengeance of Vampirella. And DC is publishing Power of Shazam, a hardcover graphic novel written and painted by Jerry Ordway. I remember seeing this book in my local comic book store called Heroes World in Levittown, New York. And it was one of those top shelf books where you would see it above the uh, kind of monthly books. And it just seems so out of reach financially for me. (laughs) <laughs> but very cool. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it at all. I think so. Yeah, it it, it sounds familiar to me. I'm sure I've seen it. Be- it's, you know, beautifully done. And Jerry Ordway had also done the art for the Batman 1989 adaptation. Yeah. Which is also very, you know, well regarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also in the news, we have the list of the contest winners of the Good Guys, number one, a book which we have reviewed and which, you know, if you want to check that out, you can find it on our YouTube page. So Stacy, what do you have for our, our final news piece? Finally, in what we can only describe as the biggest news of 1994, look out for Marvel screen posters. If you have a Macintosh computer or Microsoft Windows on an IBM or compatible machine, you know that when you don't use it for a certain amount of time, it activates a screensaver. A screensaver is a program which puts an image, usually animated, on the monitor to prevent it from burning in. Now you can screensave Marvel style. Berkeley Systems has teamed up with Marvel Entertainment to bring you over 35 Marvel screen posters to be used as screensavers. They're available now at software stores everywhere. Did you have this or do you remember seeing it on store shelves? I remember seeing it on store shelves. I did not have it. Um, In 1994, I think I still had an Apple to see plus (laughs) (laughs) thing that did not need a screensaver. Um, Yeah. But uh, I do remember seeing these on shelves. Screensavers were a big deal at this time because you were so concerned with, you know, an image burning into your computer monitor. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like kind of the iconic one is the flying toaster. Around this time, I had like a Star Wars one that had biographies of all the characters. So that was my. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. But I, I do remember seeing this one and it was kind of pricey. I think they're saying it was like 20 bucks, but I remember it being more money at like my local Caldor. But yeah, it was neat. I bet I can get it pretty cheap on eBay right now. I'd say so. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so now we're going to move on to our uh, table of contents. So we're going to start with our cover story. This sucks. Comicdom's newest less than dynamic duo, Beavis and Butthead. So it goes, uh, it goes on. Even if you hate, loathe and despise them, you probably remember vividly the first time you encountered them. Maybe you were channel surfing or just trying to get from the Dragnet reruns on Nick at Night to the Home Shopping Network before they ran out of ceramic crying clown decanter digital clocks. But somehow your cable tuner lingered on MTV for a second or two, and there they were. Maybe you weren't even looking at them. Too engrossed you were in the new Umberto Echo novel, or the latest issue of Thrasher magazine. But if you possessed enough oral acuity to notice the soundtrack, you suddenly focused your attention on the TV. All right, now I'm going to try my really bad impression. (laughs) 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 This sucks. Hey, Beavis, pull my finger. (laughs) Like a pile up on the interstate or a circus wagon packed to the rafters with chicken biting geeks, 
Beavis and Butthead, MTV's pay into adolescent imbecility, exerts an insidiously mesmerizing effect on a first-time view. Now the folks at Marvel Comics hope to borrow some of that heavy pop culture juju by producing a new monthly comic featuring the further adventures of the B-Boys. The B-Boys? That's what, yeah, that's what they're calling them. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, the B-Boys. The so the article goes on to describe the series' origins, how 30-year-old creator Mike Judge used a $200 animation kit to produce his own pilot, and the MTV execs were shocked by its initial success. Quote, and now the marketing engine has shifted into high gear, Halloween masks, a book, and even a CD called The Beavis and Budded Experience featuring a new version of I Got You Babe with Cher. So I remember that from the show. Yeah, I, I had that CD. My I brother and I played it all the time. It was really <laughs> It was it was terrible. So the question is, when did you first become aware of Beavis and Butthead and were you a fan? Stacey, you go first. Sure. So I was in high school when Beavis and Butthead came out. So I was I was right in that perfect target audience. Uh, So, yeah, I watched it from jump and. I will admit my musical tastes, uh, I didn't know a lot of the bands <laughs> that were on the show. I just thought they were dumb and funny. And then when Daria showed up and then Daria got her own show, then I was obsessed with Daria as well. Um, probably more than Beavis and Butthead, but still watch Beavis and Butthead because that was the thing you talked about at school. You know, you were like, what? what? <laughs> Did you guys watch Beavis and Butthead? You know, it was, just, it was, a, it was an MTV thing. Yeah. Um, back when MTV was still a good thing. For me, Beavis and Butthead, I enjoyed more of their little adventures as opposed to them sitting watching the music videos and, and commenting on it. I just like to see their little, you know, side adventures in the town they lived in. And I too, I really like Daria. I watched that show probably even more so than I watched Beavis and Butthead. I just loved, you know, doing the voices and, you know, pretending to make jokes like Cornholio or whatever. It wasn't until the Beavis and Butthead Do America movie came out that I was like fully engrossed in them and loved the whole thing about it and just was all in. What about you, Stephen? I loved it. I loved it right away. It was such a You know, it was such a phenomenon when it came out. Everybody was talking about it in school. My brother and I were obsessed. He and and his best friend dressed up as Beavis and Butthead that year for Halloween, and they did have those Halloween masks that they mentioned. I feel like it kind of burned bright for for like a short period of time. I want to say like 94 to 96. Yeah. And then it kind of died out, and then it came back more recently. And, And I think people kind of thought of it as a fad. But as you get older, you realize there are people that dumb all over the place. And I think that's what resonates about it. Beavis and Butthead are as realistic as characters get. They are pretty realistic. And in a lot of cases, you're just like, like, you can see people you know in, you know, exaggerated versions of Beavis and Butthead. So uh, speaking of which, I think everyone tried to do their own Beavis and Butthead impression. And you're both free to do one if you'd like. Beavis, cut it out. (laughs) That's yours. Stacey, do you want to try one or? Uh, <laughs> I am Cornholio. I have TP for my bunghole. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> but Adam dug up his own impression from that time with his friend, so we're gonna play that right now. Oh. Yeah, yeah, okay. This, this is the uh, the uh, yeah. Beaver and College show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
brings us to this particular comic book. Uh, it says, under the editorial direction of Glenn Herdling, the new monthly book features scripts by Mike Lackey. In the first issue, Beavis and Butthead go to the dentist. Uh, he says, I don't want to give too much away because it's a very convoluted plot line we follow here. Butthead gets caramel all over his braces after eating a candy bar, and he has to go to the world's most sadistic dentist. Yeah, that does not sound very complicated, but okay. <laughs> uh, did either of you pick up issues of the Beavis and Butthead comic book when it came out? I didn't know it existed, to be honest with you. Not when it came out, but I, I do own <laughs> the first issue. Oh, nice. Wow. And uh, issue number 10, which is a Halloween issue. And... Probably my favorite Beavis and Butthead character. Oh, is it Mr. Anderson? Yeah. Um, I yes. call him Proto Hank Hill because he's basically right. Hank Hill. Yeah, he basically oh, totally. becomes Hank Hill. Yeah, exactly. I did pick it up. I picked up that first issue and I remember bringing it to a sleepover. And after the sleepover, it was so crumpled up and useless because everyone just passed it around and like sat on it and everything. <laughs> but I was really excited about it. And I've, I've since picked up a few issues. It's, it's pretty accessible in, in your local dollar bin, I'm sure. It's a lot of fun. Interesting. I'm I'm not going to pick it up, but I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, the big question is, are Beavis and Butthead now part of the Marvel Universe? Uh, and it says, they exist in a universe unto themselves. If cosmic epics are your cup of tea, however, Sterculius, Roman god of feces, may soon be making a guest appearance in the book. However, in the debut issue, they do contrast Ramita's The Punisher against Kirby's Devil Dinosaur. Lackey explains, the Punisher kicks butt, so they would like him. Wolverine kicks butt, so they would like him. But Spider-Man doesn't really kick butt, so they wouldn't like him. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. It's, if you flip through the comic books, there is like usually a section at the end where they kind of comment on Marvel Comics. I have number seven, and they're, they're making fun of Neymar, this Submariner. <laughs> uh, it's almost like the way they would mystery science theater, all those music videos that they'd watch. Uh, you, you know, what's funny. Like if, you know, if you want to take that question and be like, are they part of the Marvel universe? I mean, if the main earth of Marvel is six, one, six, they could theoretically be on a different earth. If you think about it, you know, if you want to get really technical and nerdy about it, six, 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 that's the one they would want to be. Probably. Yes. Or 69. Well, we'll, yes. That's probably better. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. Right. Wouldn't it have been great if they showed up at that end scene, uh, in Avengers Endgame? just saw Beavis and Butthead with Stand weapons. <laughs> Standing at, at Tony Stark's funeral. Yeah. Or just Cornholio. <laughs> Just on the, the shirt porch. pulled up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes on to say, but don't fret Beavis and Butthead fans because this book will not be approved by the Comics Code Authority. According to Rick Parker, I was trying to convince them to let me put the Comics Code seal in a garbage can in the background of the cover, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a pretty risque book. So I can see why the Comics Code didn't want to get involved there. I'm, I'm surprised that, like, of all comic companies, Marvel would be the one to 
pick it up and and distribute it you know, especially with like image out there and valiant and dark horse and all those different companies that were more willing to toe the line of you know inappropriate content marvel just seems like not the right fit i feel like well also at this time as we've covered many times in our uh, top 10 list they were also doing the red and stimpy comic that's true which was yeah. a huge hit for them so i can see why they'd want to you know kind of capture the generation x culture with these two cartoons fair point so Paying homage, Mark Silvestri on the pros and cons of Image, what he thinks of editors and why he won't sell his soul. A lengthy profile on Mark Silvestri right about now. It would be a very cool thing to be Mark Silvestri. He is part owner of a growing studio, chock-a-block full of some of the hottest talent in the industry has ever seen. Homage Studios publishes some of the most eagerly awaited comics in the industry, and it's Silvestri's job to negotiate with Hollywood types who are falling over themselves to translate his four-color heroes into live-action or animated images. So was there really like a big push for Homage Studios to get TV and stuff? I don't like what properties do you know, Stephen? I'm not 100% sure, but you know, at this time, as has been mentioned in, in Wizard before, these independent guys were getting a lot of their work optioned by Hollywood studios and, you know, kind of going into development hell. I'm not 100% sure what they were buying from him, but something. Okay. He says that all of these responsibilities are interfering with the actual creation of the book. And let me tell you this, for a puff piece that there's a lot of talk about Image's inability to get books out on time, Silvestri admits to being surprised at the extent of the negative reaction to Image in some quarters. I thought what we were doing was a positive step for the rights of all freelancers and creative people in the industry. He goes on to say, I'm still waiting for thank you notes from certain individuals whose careers have been helped by our efforts. You better call up uh, Jimmy Fallon and have him write you some thank you notes then, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Quite quite the ego there. Yeah, I guess so. But there's a lot of talk about image. You know, like it says, this is a puff piece, kind of kissing Silvestri's butt. But man, they don't go light on the image uh, books being late and and not being delivered to uh, the comic book stores. You know, it's also funny, like so much of people's industries now today, creative types, graphic designers, artists, such and such, they live and breathe on being a freelancer. Back then, to be a freelancer was even more of a a struggle than it is today because you don't have the social media as promoting your work. So you almost you wanted to be a part of some sort of a studio. I always felt right like it was so much harder to get notice and recognition as a freelancer back then. Right. Yeah, but I mean, also, technically, I'm sure most many of the artists and writers at DC were freelancers. Yeah. You know, they were kind of doing their own thing and and working for both companies at times. So it's not like it wasn't a freelance industry already. They just wanted to not have to deal with editors. And And they wanted uh, to have a little bit more ownership on the rights of their their creations, I guess. Yeah, and push the envelope and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, this is a deadline industry, like everything. and, And they weren't meeting those deadlines. That's very true. We've learned that multiple times over over the last year. <laughs> he discusses three new projects he's very excited about. Codename Strike Force. I actually know of this. I know oh. of, I, I know of this, believe it or not. Weapon Zero and a Ripclaw miniseries. Another upcoming special project 
again set in the cyber force continuity, <laughs> is a joint effort between Silvestri, Jim Lee, and Chris Claremont. Claremont will write an issue of Cyber Force, an issue of Wildcats, and a one-shot issue bridging the two series and tying together the storylines of the previous issues. Speaking of, of Chris Claremont, have you seen the documentary about him on Amazon Prime about the X-Men? I have, yes. Oh, yeah. it's so good. It so good. good. Oh, my God. I was I was watching it the other day. I'm like, whoa, I must tune in. And I just had my daughter sit with me, and she's like, those are cool pictures. I'm like, you're darn right, kids. Sit here and tune in. <laughs> But for Sylvester, the future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. Hey. <laughs> oh. The 80s reference there. Isn't that a nuclear war reference or am I crazy? That's why the future yeah. is so bright. Oh. And then Ronald Reagan referenced it in a speech saying, <laughs> you know, the future is so bright, we got to wear shades, not realizing it was a nuclear war reference. They made a music video on an episode of Head of the Class. Oh, that's a great oh, show. That's a great show. That's a great show. <laughs> That is a great show. I love that show. That's that's bringing me back right there. It's funny because I was just watching Blank Man before we started recording because we keep teasing Blank Man for a 90 Super Cinema and, and Robin Givens is in Blank Man and I was and I was thinking, oh man, I can't wait to talk about Head of the Class on an upcoming Wizard podcast. And here we are. <laughs> you never know where life's going to take you. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. There are numerous Hollywood deals in the mix which Silvestri doesn't want to talk about until the deals are closed unlike rob liefeld who says oh yeah everything's we're great we're gonna make millions don't worry when an episode of never that never came out of young blood great the primary thing for myself is the ownership of the work i don't think anyone would just give it away and the irony is now you can't give those away yes yeah. <laughs> no you can't you know strike while the iron's hot there sell your codename strike force movie rights yeah make that money men of iron Len Kaminsky talks about what 1994 holds for Iron Man and War Machine. Hmm. Interesting. What does it hold for them? Are they going to like give it away like they did with, uh, you know, the Green Lantern thing with Zero Hour? I'll tell I'll tell you this, having having read this, because uh, clearly you have not. Uh... <laughs> it's still it's still in the plastic. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Mine's right here. It's well worn. You, I don't think you could give away this storyline because I couldn't make heads or tails of where he was going with it. So let's dive in. OK. In Garib Seamus's letter from our publisher, he teases this article by saying our Iron Man feature addresses one of the most heated topics of conversation since what are pogs good for? I actually saw somebody post today that they found a bucket of pogs in their house. And I was like, I'll buy them from you just for the hell of it. <laughs> Did you? I almost did. I was real close. He had a huge thing of pogs. Was like, just to like give them away to people as like they winning prizes for doing the quizzes. I'll just mail them pogs. I don't care. It may actually put an end to the could Iron Man beat the X-Men that has been burning in, in Wizard for the past 20 issues. Lord knows I'll sleep easier once this thing is resolved. We're still talking about this. We are 30 issues in and we're still talking about this Iron Man X-Men debate. Oh boy. Here we go. Now, while this does go on in great detail about Iron Man's powers and armors, it doesn't actually solve the X-Men debate. Sorry, Garib Seamus. Whatever. It's, it's a bummer. This is going to keep going. And the clear answer is X-Men, but whatever. 
It is, unfortunately. I would agree, yes. If they didn't kill off Tony Stark in Endgame, we would find out when the mutants come in the future in Phase 4 or whatever, Phase 5 in the movies. So Len is coming on to the book to put a new shine on old Shellhead's armor. What's his take? Billionaires are bad. Why do they got to be bad? Why? He's just, he's just a guy who likes to wear metal around his body and, and blow up things. Well, well, you just got a big Amazon order while we were sitting here. So I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> You're it's, feeding those billionaires. It's groceries. We got to feed ourselves, too. And I don't want to go to the grocery store. So there you go. One of the things that has always made me uncomfortable with Iron Man is that he's a multi-billionaire head of a giant corporate corporation and he's a good guy why can't you be both i don't know i mean i don't know usually in the real world those guys are not the good guys he goes on to talk about recent storylines where stark enterprises has been up to no good thanks to a disgruntled former employee as a result Stark will have a bad rap throughout the Marvel Universe, but Kaminsky wants to put a real-world spin on this. Through this story, I'll try to explore how someone in that position can attempt to do business honorably, how business on that scale can be ethical and honorable, which is something that some companies in the real world are trying to do. Capitalism, over the last 150 years doesn't have a good track record of behaving responsibly. Some companies are trying to figure out how to be profitable without doing harm. Anybody have any thoughts on this concept? (laughs) Stacey, I'll let you go first. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but I'll be honest. I was more interested in the Iron Man 2020 feature that was on the same page (laughs) because death's head is one of my favorite Marvel characters. So I, no Iron Man 2020. It's an interesting concept. I, I can see wanting to put a real world spin on it, but I will also say I don't is, necessarily. Is it going to sell books? <laughs> well, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say I don't necessarily read comics about Iron Man because I want a realistic take on a multi-billionaire. Like, I just right. want to see a man in a suit blow some stuff up. I, I don't. I have to agree. Like, I think this is this is a reach. And it's also it makes me think now I'm like, gee, it's kind of funny because Iron Man was such an unpopular character in the comics for such a long time until the Iron Man movie came out, because I feel like they're trying to do stories like this. Nobody cares about this billionaire doing corrupt business. They want to see him blow stuff up and save the day. And I feel like for a long time in Marvel, they couldn't figure out what to do with Tony Stark to make him different from Bruce Wayne. You know, they gave him the alcoholic angle for a long time. They're trying to make him an honorable or dishonorable businessman. Like, if, if I'm a 13-year-old kid and I'm walking into the comic book store and it says, like, Tony Stark, corrupt businessman, issue number one of a 12-issue series, I'm not picking it up. <laughs> I'm getting Beavis and Butthead number one. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Steven, what about you? What are your thoughts on this? It feels a little ahead of its time. It feels very relevant to right now. It does. You you could kind of sell Mm -hmm. this idea right now. But, you know, I was also 13 at this time. I didn't want to read Iron Man at all. It was boring. And I think it it was canceled shortly thereafter this. I almost feel like we're heading towards this sort of reckoning with Batman as well, where Batman... This billionaire who beats up poor people in his spare time, I feel like they're going to have to kind of 
figure out how to make that storyline work mm-hmm. as we move forward. And, uh, you know, the movies did try to make Tony Stark into the benevolent billionaire at times who wants to stop making weapons and who wants to put a suit of armor around the world uh, and then creates Ultron who destroys <laughs> Sokovia. <Whoops>. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, he made some mistakes, you know, that's My bad guys. Yeah. he created scarlet witch and quicksilver okay it happens so yeah so i could see them you know kind of there being a reckoning with this storyline in 2020 2021 but in 1994 you know not so much we were kind of uh the dot-com bubble and things were looking good the dot-com bubble was just starting at this point i mean yeah like er, like early early probably more like even next year would be even more so i i don't know like i just don't feel like this is a story that would track well then just america agreed with you i I guess so (laughs) i guess we can all assume that none of us were reading iron man at this time i know i wasn't no no (laughs) no my my brother was subscribing to war machine at this time that's kind of cool I guess so. I, kn- I could not get through a single issue. Really? I tried so many times. Just couldn't do it. You know what I liked? It's much later than this. Do you ever read the, the, the Pepper Potts Rescue uh, series when, when she gets her armor and everything? No, I never did. You Didn't you just buy a statue of that or were you thinking about buying a rescue statue? I'm still debating on it. I just got <laughs> my Mark 85 Hot Toys and I'm really considering getting that Pepper Potts rescue suit. Because it just, oh, it would look so cool together. It really would. I'm not going to lie. It is $430, but, oh you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chimney Christmas. My dad once bought a car for $500. Oh, my God. That's a lot of codename Strike Force comics you could buy for that. Yes, it is. <laughs> you I... could probably get the rights to codename Strike Force from Mark <laughs> Silvestri for that oh, amount of money. I probably could. I'll email him. I'll tweet at him. Hmm, can I buy that? that uh, what, do you, what do you sell that for right now? Well, you know, I'll trade you a hot toys, Tony Stark. I saw a funny video. You guys know who um, John Campia is? He's like a YouTuber. The name sounds familiar. Uh, you'd know him if you saw him. He's he's kind of a blowhard, but he did this whole, he did this whole thing about you know why he buys hot toys, and he compared it to buying an engagement ring. He's like. Two months salary of your engagement ring. What's that getting you? A little piece of metal and a rock on your finger? I could spend $500 on this thing and it gives me years and years of joy. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, as it sits in my display case and I stare at it. (laughs) I got to say, I kind of take a side on that one. They're pretty cool. I don't have any, but. Dude, they are awesome. I'm not going to lie. They are awesome. Uh, On our Patreon, I will show the Iron Man because it is the best one I've ever gotten. It's pretty awesome. I'm if I ever lie. spent that much on toys, I think my wife would have me committed. I don't know. I I love Hot Toys. I think they're gorgeous. And I have almost bought the Princess Leia. Um, oh, it's pretty oh, good. Yeah. It's but pretty good. I just, I don't know. Like, I would rather take that money and spend it on a nice vintage Kenner 12 inch. Um, that like the two that I need right now are uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ooh, and I could probably buy both of those for the cost of a hot toy. And and I also I like toys I can play with. Like I like action figures that I can, you know, take out in the snow and take pictures of or, you know, just fill my Instagram with randomness of action figures in weird situations. But I, I get that. I appreciate I fully appreciate hot toys. I just know that if I spent that much money on one thing i would never touch it and i just i like (laughs) i like things that i can you know get out and and enjoy i get that 
I'll I'll tell you, like, you know, the first one I ever bought was uh, Heath Ledger Joker. Mm, that's a and, beautiful piece. That's and, gonna terrify you in the middle of the night, almost like the uh, cre- the haunted Krusty the Clown doll. Oh, because I ha- I have it under like blue LEDs too, so that when it's lit up, like it's just freaky. But then when I got that. I had to get the Christian Bale. And then when I got that, I I tracked some guy down. And this is going way off tangent, but I don't care. Um, I tracked some guy down in Staten Island that I saw at a comic convention at, like, the Cradle of Aviation Museum in Long Island. In Farmville? His, uh, yeah, in, Far- in Hempstead, Hicks, uh, okay. like, right at the Nassau Coliseum. And uh, I got his phone number, and I called this guy, and I'm like, hey – do you have Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson hot toys? And he's like, yeah. What do you want for him? I'm like, what do you want for him? That's what I want to know. And so then he's like, okay, I live in Staten Island. My brother lives in like Garden City. I drove like 35, 40 minutes, met this guy in a parking lot, handed him cash and drove away. Oh my God. <laughs> so bizarre. So bizarre. What what parking lot was this? I don't know. It was on like Wanta Avenue in, in somewhere. <laughs> Some random gas station parking lot. There was a drug deal going on right next to you. And then yes. you were yes. getting a Keaton Batman. You buying toys. Dude, but that Keaton Batman though. Holy cow. It is awesome. I've never bought one. The one that kind of catches my eye is the Chris O'Donnell Robin from Batman Forever. I just pre-ordered it. Well... <laughs> you know good for you it's it's gonna look great i'll I'll come visit it someday i got i pre-ordered that and the val kilmer so come on he's got the sonar suit he does have the sonar suit i'll just sell some more of my funko pops to to pay off my credit card for it (laughs) we're living in a pandemic man let me tell you gotta do something i'm not going to restaurants so (laughs) fair enough buying toys (laughs) yes exactly and if it wasn't for this podcast though like I used to just collect like, you know, high end collectibles like Hot Toys or Funko Pops. But because of this podcast and because of Adam and Steven, now I'm trying to also reclaim my childhood action figures as well. So I've been going, I was on a little bit of a, (laughs) exactly. I went like on a bender. (laughs) I went on this crazy bender just buying, you know, the Dark Knight collection of the Batman figures for double or triple the price that I paid for them as a child. <laughs> I'm like, what, what's wrong <laughs> with me? This is this is life. This is what we do I now. I didn't think those were expensive. Uh, I think I've spent. Um, I bought four of them for about a hundred bucks, so about twenty five bucks a piece. Oh, okay. In the box, right? In the bo- yeah, oh, in the gotcha. box. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, they. You know, when you look at the price tag that says, you know. KB Toys or Toys R Us, it was $4.99 and I just spent $25. I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> On clearance for $1.99 because that was KB's yes. thing. Yes, exactly. So anyway. All right. So the next article is backstage at the Mystery Theater. Wizard goes behind the scenes with Matt Wagner as he talks about Sandman Mystery Theater, the problems with Grendel, and the future of Mage. Matt Wagner, right? It's not like Wagner or something. I think it's Wagner. Yeah, I think. Yeah, as far as I know, it's Wagner. This is a lengthy interview with Pennsylvania-born writer artist Matt Wagner, who they say explores the dark side of the human heart. With Sandman Mystery Theater, he's doing these sort of four-chapter period pieces with a story mostly set in 1938. They talk about how the character and his cumbersome mask make for an unusual passive-aggressive hero that would rather put his opponents to sleep with some sort of knockout gas. 
than engage in traditional fisticuffs. Then they discuss his most famous work, Grendel, and how a new series of shorter stories he's writing will lead into the Batman Grendel 2 crossover. Uh, Wizard really tries to pry out more information about this storyline, but Wagner is a little tight-lipped. It actually took until 1996, two and a half years after this issue, for Batman Grendel 2 Devil's Bones to come out. Did you read any of these, Michael? I know you're a big Batman fan. I have seen the cover. I'm looking at it right now on eBay. I did not own this. But it's saying that it's though it's rare, the guy on eBay is selling it for 99 cents. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, no, I didn't read it. It looks kind of cool, though. I'm I'm interested. I I like cool Batman crossover things. I like, you know, the Batman Punisher stuff and things like that. So that's interesting. How about you, Stacey? Were you a fan of any of these works? You know, Grendel, Mage, Sandman? I have sporadically read some of these titles. I, I read probably a good portion of the first dozen or so issues of Mage um, when I first came back to comics because I got them really cheap. And I'm more aware of Grendel because of the big blast action figures <laughs> because I'm, I'm a huge Madman fan and I was looking for Madman toys. And uh, in that same series, there was a Hellboy and a Mage and a Grendel. And so I ended up picking up a lot of all of them because I was like coming to collecting and deciding oh i'm just gonna grab these on ebay there's a whole whole carded set and uh, um so i'm more familiar because of toys but then went back and researched them because i don't like to own things i don't know anything about (laughs) sure yeah i actually just started reading madman based on adam's recommendation picked up volume one and it's fantastic so good i have issue number one and i'm i'm hoping to read it in the next couple of days i don't know i i didn't know those those action figures for madman i remember those i had a t-shirt for whatever reason in college i had the black t-shirt with the yellow exclamation point I, I remember the symbol. Like the symbol was something that it was very iconic of always seeing, but I, I never read the comic. I didn't know it till till really. I mean, I knew of it, but I never read it. I guess I gotta. Do I have to bite the bullet and buy volume one of this book and read it now? Is I, I got what? it for pretty cheap on eBay. Okay. I think I paid ten bucks. Okay. All right. I will look into it. I will make my scouts honor and in a mini episode give it a review (laughs) so there we go (laughs) i can see why people obsess over it just based on what i've read so far it's it's a really unique universe and his art style is just gorgeous and one Mm -hmm. of a kind yeah he's he's done so many different things too like clerks or jane silent bob strike back stuff mm-hmm. i mean he well he was on he was in mall rats um and he's then, in chasing amy as well oh that's what i meant yeah chasing amy he was in chasing amy okay yeah. yes that's he was not in mall rats that was Stanley. yeah there's like a there's a part where they <laughs> they ask him if chow yun fat could play madman right yeah yeah okay yeah um and and i recommend any madman comics i also recommend the atomics uh if you're into music red rocket seven is super fun but my favorite madman series is a later one that he did uh, probably 2007 ish called madman atomic comics and it is about mike allred's existential crisis that he explores through madman and it's it's gorgeous there's there's one issue that he basically panel by panel does his art in the style of different comic artists Oh, that's really cool. That's oh, interesting. It's, it's gorgeous. And that's collected in a trade paperback? It should be, yeah. I'll definitely pick that one up. So you know what's funny? You know the TV show iZombie? Do you guys ever watch that? Yes. Oh, yeah. On, on yeah. CW. 
So I liked that show, and because I liked the show, I read the entire comic series, and I was like, I just realized, same artist, mm-hmm. like all red. Yeah. I was like, oh, one of these. I never put that one together either. <laughs> I just put it together. I'm like, whoa, because I yeah. love the the art style, and it's the same exact style, like oh. very very similar, which is pretty yeah. cool. My first exposure to Mike Allred was uh, Ecstatics. That I was, know that. I've heard of that. That was what I that was what I started on because again, that was like about the time I started getting back into comics. I was reading Greg Rucka, Wonder Woman, and Ooh, that's good and too. I discovered Ecstatics and became obsessed with Mike Allred and bought everything I could get my hands on and just fell down a rabbit hole of, of all of his creator own work. But, uh, but I'm still a big fan of ecstatics and, and I know a lot of X X men fans are like, why it's not good, but no, it's fun. It's different. <laughs> it's always funny when you see Mike Allred cause he does not look like your typical comic book artist. He doesn't. He almost looks like a 90s male model in, in some of those movies and articles. He's got like the long hair and the really hip clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very funny. I don't know where to transition from here. I don't know how to well, get let's off talk this. about your male modeling days, Michael. No, oh, please. <laughs> when I had hair? Sure. <laughs> the next segment says CBIQ. Yeah, so Hollywood Heroes is not in this issue, but there is the CBIQ, a.k.a. the Comic Book Intelligence Quotient. Uh, I really love this as a kid. It was really funny, and they had kind of snarky, multiple-choice questions and answers. I thought maybe it would be fun to kind of run some by you guys. Should I open the magazine so I can actually see it and read them? Or? Uh, no, because then you can see the answers. <laughs> okay, then I won't look at the magazine. All right, fair. <laughs> Keep that magazine sealed. It'll be worth something someday. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> So I'm just going to ask questions. You know, I'm not going to ask all 25 questions, but I'll just pick out some fun ones. So, Michael, we'll start with you. Okay. Number one, Wolverine made his debut in an issue of The Incredible Hulk. The villain of the story was A, Sabretooth, B, Juggernaut, C, Wendigo, D, Hammer and Anvil. Hmm. I want to say Juggernaut. Stacy, what do you think? I guess I'm wrong. Uh... Want to say, is it Wendigo? That's correct. Ooh, wow. Good for you. So, Stacy, we'll start with you for the next one. Okay. Which of the following characters was not a member of the Champions? And this was circa 1994. Uh, a, the Shroud, B, Ghost Rider, C, Angel, or D, Iceman? Oh, I have no idea. Um, the Shroud? <laughs> That's correct. That's oh, what wow. I was going to guess, too. Wow. I was like, I'm just going to guess the one that I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, that, that was a good that was a good play. That was that was the play I would have taken, too. I'm like, I don't know what that one is. I'm going to go with that. That sounds yeah. good. I'm going to skip to a DC question. Okay. Uh, Michael, so what color was the suit Doomsday was wearing when he made his debut? Green. A, blue, B, gray, C, green, D, navy blue corduroy, and he made so much noise when he walked. Oi. What is green? That's Alex? correct. That is correct. <laughs> but give us one one more each. We'll do we'll do a total of five. Okay. So Stacy, in which war did Tony Stark, Iron Man, receive a major chest wound, which eventually led to his heart transplant? A. World War Two. B. The Vietnam War. C. The Kree Skrull War. D. The Evolutionary War. Mm, C. It's actually B. The Vietnam War. I was going to say oh, Vietnam. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, Michael. Okay. uh, Here we go. Bane had the venom injection control box on which arm? A, left, B, right, C, both, 
D, you're out of arms to choose from. I think it's both. It is left. Le- I yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. All right. I guess so. All right. Okay. Last question. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. So, Stacy, who among the following characters did, did the Silver Surfer not have the hots for? <laughs> A, Nebula. B, Mantis. C, Shalabal. D, Nova. Uh, Nova. It was actually Nebula. Wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. I guess he didn't see the movie Guardians of the Galaxy at that point. I guess not. So, yes, that's CBIQ. That's kind of fun. I like those. We did, those cool. we did okay. We did fine, yeah. You know, they're tricky because a lot of these questions are from 1994, so a lot's happened since then. Yeah. yeah. And may- maybe yeah. maybe since then, Silver Surfer developed a crush on Nebula. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. There's no way of knowing. Oh, boy. So our next segment is Azriel's Action Figure Fury. As we've done in our recent special for Mask of the Phantasm, there are new Kenner toys for Batman Mask of the Phantasm coming soon from Kenner. The line will include the Phantasm, Total Armor Batman, Jetpack Joker, Bruce Wayne Decoy Batman, and Retro Batman, among others. Kenner is also releasing new Batman the Animated Series figures. This line will include Dick Grayson Robin, Clayface, Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, and a Killer Croc figure. Now, other than the Phantasm figure, I don't recall any of the other Mask of the Phantasm action figures. You don't remember Jetpack Joker? Not off the top of my head. Oh, man, that one was cool. He had a helmet. He had a jetpack. (laughs) He had a helmet. (laughs) He had a helmet. Joker goes through life with reckless aband, but still needs a helmet for a (laughs) jetpack. My favorite of this line was the Dick Grayson Robin figure. Oh, it was a good figure. Yeah, and it was kind of cool the way they, you know, his mask slid onto his face. That's a tricky thing to, to make a domino mask for a Dick Grayson figure. I recently, when they started redoing the Batman the Animated Series figures, I got myself the Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and I have the Animated Series Batmobile and Batwing. Oh, nice. Oh, they're so so awesome. Fortunately, I have a very, very kind mother-in-law that got them for me for Christmas one year. Oh, that's very nice. (laughs) She, like, comes out and hands me these two giant boxes, and my wife goes, the is this and i open them (laughs) don't you worry about it and i open these things and now they're sitting in my office on what should be my desk (laughs) they're just these two giant batmobiles and batwings on my desk well they make you happy they do they give me joy spark joy yes they do spark joy yes (laughs) absolutely oh god also in kenner news they will mix predator figures into its Aliens collection in 1994 with four variations. A Cracked Tusk Predator, a Savage Predator, a Ponytail Predator, and a Dread Predator. There will also be a special Aliens vs. Predator 2-pack, which contains a Dark Horse comic book. That's kind of cool. All right, that's interesting. Stacy, did you have these? I know you're a big fan of the Alien toys. Well, I think I have the 2-pack. 
Okay. They also mentioned that they're coming out with a Space Marines line. I think that's when they came out with the Michael Bean figure, which was a big deal mm-hmm. at my middle school, if I remember correctly. And there was also a King alien uh, and a Predator clan leader. There was a Panther alien, Killer Crab alien, Razorback alien, Tarantula alien, Rhino alien, Mantis alien, Snake alien, and a Queen Facehugger alien. I have most of those. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. I will admit, I have always been terrified of Alien, and uh, I don't have any of those figures because I had them in my house. They would give me pure nightmares. (laughs) So I don't have any. I didn't see the Alien movies, so probably I was in my early 20s because I was so afraid. I was so afraid. I'm terrified. You know what's funny is uh, in 1997, they made, you know, Alien Resurrection came out. And my best friend, Alan, was a huge Alien fan. He loaned me his box set. He's like, you're going to watch all three and we're going to go see Alien Resurrection. I watched all three. And then he read the bad reviews for Alien Resurrection. And he's like, I don't want to go see it now. And we, I've still yet to see Alien Resurrection. But I did all this homework for it just to make my best friend happy in high school. I think the first one I ever saw was probably Aliens 3. It was the first one I ever saw. And then I saw Alien vs. Predator, then Resurrection, then the first two. And then I bought uh, Prometheus on an airplane flight. And I, I had such high hopes for it. I'm like, I really wanted to love it. And then I really didn't love it. <laughs> and I haven't seen this Covenant one either. I haven't seen that yet. I love them all. I they they all have their merits. I love the scale of Prometheus. I think it looks it just looks visually beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like the ending falls flat for me. You know. Yeah, you're not the only one. That I, a lot of people have said that. I don't know. I I love it so. <laughs> I'm an I'm an alien franchise apologist, except. <laughs> I will say, except Alien versus Predator, the last one they did, it was awful. And well, I guess the one before that, we, we I went with a bunch of friends and we almost got thrown out of the theater because we were laughing so hard. Oh, really? like, this movie is horrible. And there were only three more people in the theater other than, than really? my group. So yeah, I was like, you're really going to tell us to be quiet? This movie's awful. We gave you money for it. What else do you want? Well, it was it was like Freddy versus Jason, where we'd been promised this movie for so long. We couldn't wait for it. They kept saying it from like the 80s through the 90s. And then it finally came out and it was such a letdown. Yeah, it's bad. And not even bad in a good way. But speaking of toys and collections, KB is getting an exclusive Toy Biz has released Wolverine 5, Secret Agent Wolverine. Can Wolverine ever really be a secret agent, you think? like Not with that haircut. Not with that haircut. And like, once those claws come out, you'll be like, you're that guy. You're the claw guy. <laughs> I know who you are. You're Wolverine. <laughs> come on. It's like, no, it's not. It's a different guy. Yeah. <laughs> and a Weapon X figure in a limited edition package exclusive to KB Toys. Wolverine 5 is colored differently. Instead of the regular black and gold, the KB costume is colored green and gold, and Weapon X's apparatus, the wiring uh, electrodes, and parts of the helmet have all been recolored. Okay. All right. I, I don't know. I loved KB Toys. I was a big fan of KB Toys as a kid. I didn't know that exclusives existed in like different vendors back then. You know, like it wasn't a thing like it is now. Like, ooh, Target got the exclusive action figure. I got to dive online and try to get it right away. Like it, it wasn't a thing back then, you know? Was it for you guys? Did you see, seek out exclusives? Yeah. 
now, right? Yeah. Well, no. I, my my three best friends in high school worked at KB Toys, and I spent a lot of time there because of that. And let me tell you, that Toy Biz Marvel aisle was always discounted. They couldn't get rid of that stuff at a certain point. There was so much product, like just lining the shelves, and they all had a bunch of like <clears throat> like the twelve inch figures that they made, you know, in their rooms. But yeah, there was a lot of that stuff floating around KB. There was. It was a. It was such a cool store too. I liked going to that store. I liked it at times going there better than going to Toys R Us. I think because it felt because it was smaller. It was kind of like quainter of a shop, you know. Yeah, Toys R Us is better, but KB was fun. It was better. Whatever. To to have options was a great thing. There was Child World and Lionel Kitty City and Toys R Us and KB, and now you can't find a single toy store anywhere. No. You can't. Well, it's sad. Did you have a toy store that you frequented, Stacy, when you were a kid? I want to say Circus World. I got a yeah. lot of toys at Hills, which that. is not a toy store. It's like a department <laughs> store. But if the old commercials were true, that was where the toys were. And then when we visited my grandma, Toys R Us. So Toys R Us was like, the if place, I got yeah. to Toys R Us, it was special. It was like going had, to Graceland. <laughs> yeah, we had gone out of town because we didn't have a Toys R Us where we lived growing up. So, yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, we, you know, we would freak, you know, my my mom would like take us shopping, whatever. We had a, a, a Kmart and there was a KB Toys very close to each other. And then there was this other department store called Caldor. Oh, man, the best. And, and Caldor had like... A lot of knockoff action figures, I feel like. They were not really, like, you know, they weren't truly licensed. And I was like, look at that cool Bratman figure. <laughs> Bratman? Does that say Ratman? I want that. Give me that. Well, those but are was... the ones that are worth money now. All I'm sure the, they the are. All the bootleg stuff. Like, I've... bootleg uh, Master of the Universe figures are way more expensive than He-Man. Speaking of Master of the Universe and He-Man, remember the, like, the, the original line of He-Man, which were, like, the shorter, stockier figures? But then mm-hmm. when they did that, like, new version of the, the He-Man cartoon, they had the taller He-Man. Yeah. So I had mm-hmm. both of those, and I hated the taller He-Man. <laughs> I had both of them, but I I used to make the short, stocky He-Man beat the hell out of the tall He-Man. <laughs> Where's that figure now? Is it completely destroyed? Busted into a billion pieces. That was when like they put He-Man into the future. Like they took him out of Eternia, yeah. yes, put him in like a future yeah. landscape. Yes, yeah. it's true. They, yeah, they they were built with like these rubber bands inside them that held, that held the legs together, and I used to like bend them back, and they would flip out, and then one day they just popped into pieces. I was like, oh well, game over. Yeah, and you can't fix those. It's not like GI Joes. You know, like GI Joes, their O rings break. You can take them apart and replace the O ring. That Masters of the Universe toys, their their legs break. That's pretty much it. I mean, that's it. That's I'm a sure wrap. somebody can fix them, but I I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> you just got them sitting around like a that like feathery butt underwear that they had or whatever it was that like <laughs> that like loincloth underwear just sitting there. It like, was the it was the Conan underwear. It was the fur bikini? Come on, I, yes, yes, the yeah. fur bikini. <laughs> but the big discussion in this month's issue is: Is my action figure worth more in the carton? Is that, did they call it a carton? They call it a carton. They did. That's word for word. Yeah, I cringed. I was like, <laughs> what? No. What? Yeah. I, do uh, well, obviously, it is worth more. This goes into the fact that there really isn't a grading system for toy boxes. 
But like, you know, I, yes. I've had this. There is a grading system. There is now. Yeah. Yes. Back then there was not. Back yeah, then right. there wasn't. No, but there is now. I mean, we've had this conversation a lot on this podcast, but, you know, I like to always ask this question. Do you prefer your figures in the box or out of the box? It depends on what it is. If it's something that is super rare and I don't have reason to open it, then, you know, I have a few carded pieces that actually that um, Aliens figure you were talking about, the the Michael Bean, I, I have that on the card and it's the only one I have that I didn't, that I, I got on the card and I didn't open. But for the most part, I'm a loose collector because again, I like to have them where, you know, I can take pictures of them or pose you know, them display and them certain ways or... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're more fun. I mean, I, I have, I'm right above my desk here. I have a collection of Kenner Leia's that I have rescued because they're in varying states of condition. Some of them look really good. Uh, most of them are yellowed or missing accessories. And, um, you know, they're ones that I've pulled out of bins at flea markets and things like that. So, um, I am not typically a value collector i don't collect because i think i'm going to be able to retire on toys i collect them because i love them right it's a passion thing same thing like i i I could never see myself selling my hot toys or stuff like that like i bought them because they remind me of a movie or whatever or a character that i like i do have some figures that i have bought two of them one for out of the box and one for to keep in the box just for whatever reason and i like to pose i'm not a big poser because i'm not very good at you know articulating them without being afraid that i'm gonna break them because i'm like a bull in a china shop (laughs) and i have like just clunky hands that just don't know how to like do the right thing i'm like i'm gonna break this guy's leg off i know it's gonna happen i'm gonna do it it's gonna happen steven i know you're what's your feeling on this you know let's get a definitive answer from you on this one i like to play you know mostly i like to collect loose figures from the 80s and 90s. Uh, most recently, you know, they made those Walmart exclusive real Ghostbusters toys. And I bought a few thinking, oh, I'll keep them in the package. Eventually, I caved and just <laughs> I wanted to, you know, play with them. I wanted to put the proton packs in their hands and just see how it felt. And so I opened up a couple of them. And now I display them that way. And I actually really like the way they look displayed that way. Dude, they look so good. They're so they're so I, nearly identical to the ones of the 80s. I just like they're they look so cool. Those I wish I bought them. I regret it. It's a time machine. I, they're still they're still pretty widely available at Walmart. Go to Walmart with me. I, I will go to Walmart <laughs> with you at some point. Sure. We'll, we'll make a journey to Walmart. OK, fair. Very fair. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if it's a really old toy, I'm not going to take it out of the box. I'm not a psychopath. But if it's. <laughs> If it's something new or if it's something with like a really damaged box or something very inexpensive, like some of those Toy Biz X-Men toys are not worth that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I really like the box art, I'll keep it in the box. But more often than more often than not, I'm going to take it out. Yeah. So so some things like even older toys, you know, like 80s action figures, while they might be worth more on the card in terms of the toy, them, like the toys themselves when they're in the package for so long, the plastic starts breaking down. So they sometimes will get like weirdly rubbery or they'll get sticky on the outside or Mm -hmm. discolor in some way. So I sometimes think it's a service to uh, rescue those from, (laughs) Mm. from, from a, a, a fate worse than, 
worse than death, which is just staying on the card forever and decaying inside the package. True. Yeah, they, I, I have seen that happen. I used to have Amigo Little Rascals Spanky. <laughs> I know. What? And it started to like the box was breaking down and the Amigo figure inside was getting all weird. Eventually, mm-hmm. I sold it. That is the most random thing you've ever said to me. You've never heard the words Mego Little Rascal Spanky on this podcast before? No. no well, no. there's a first time for everything. There's a first for everything. <laughs> oh, boy. So let's just segue, because we've been talking about, you know, keeping figures on the card. But, Stephen, what do we have in Gambit's deck of cards? So uh, in early April, Skybox will be releasing their first Batman set. This 100-card set covers the career of Batman from the year one storyline through last year's back-breaking Nightfall epic. Five different Spectra Etch cards will be randomly inserted, about one in every 18 packs. A Super 3D hologram will be randomly inserted to the tune of one in every six or seven boxes. That's kind of rare. Gotta look that one up. Uh, Hmm. Also coming from Skybox are the Ultraverse Series 2 Origin sets, as well as oversized Sandman cards, which were delayed because Neil Gaiman signed 2,000 of them, which will randomly be inserted into packs. And from Tops, look for a 100-card series titled Universal Monsters Illustrated, featuring artwork from Wills Portacio, Joe Casada, and Todd McFarlane doing the Gill Man. I don't know what the Gill Man is. From Creature of the Black Lagoon. I don't remember. How do I know? You know Creature from the Black Lagoon? Of course I do, but I don't know what the Gill Man is. He's called the Gill Man because he has gills because he's in the lagoon. But I got to say this. How pissed would you be as a kid if you got one of those Sandman cards that was one of the Neil Gaiman ones that were signed and the signature was smudged? Did that did that happen? Could you imagine? Like he's signing two thousand. Like his hand is probably like falling. Off, like Edward, he's just writing like just the letter N, and it's just like smudged on the paper or the card. <laughs> Here you go, kid. Enjoy. I would be like, no. I I um a few years ago when um, DC was doing their metal uh, storyline, I got metal number one signed by Scott Snyder, and. I had bought a, I had, you know, a little bag and board with it. And before it dried, Scott Snyder's like person slid it into the sleeve and the signature went. It was like, oh, no, man. <laughs> it was ruined. So then when the, when, when part six came out, I went back to fourth world comics where he was doing the signing and had him re-sign it. And before the, the kid could put it in the thing, I'm like, give me the book. I just kind of like held it like the precious. It's like, don't touch the precious. Give me the goddamn book, kid. <laughs> Get away from me. Don't you dare put that in the bag. <laughs> yeah, they're really trying to entice people to buy these cards with like 3d holograms that are in every six or seven boxes. That's, that's very rare. It's pretty rare. And, you know, I'm fascinated by this whole card thing now because we've been seeing a lot of things pop up with with like these cards being worth so much money. It's really crazy. I'm shocked by it, to be honest with you. Likewise. Yeah, I've seen for like a couple hundred bucks for some of these, you know, boxes of cards. Stacey, were you were you a card collector at all? Yes, mostly 
Batman cards. I collected uh, Batman movie cards for all of the the movies in the 90s, ex- except uh-huh. maybe. I don't know if they did cards for Batman and Robin, but I know no like, one at least. No one would have bought them other than Steven. <laughs> yeah, at least through Batman Forever, I had I had Batman cards. Me too. I, I, I still have the Val Kilmer, like, in the cape, coming down, like, repelling from the glass or whatever, or something like that. In in like a metal or like a sleeve that I had to put four screws in the sides to like hold it in place. <laughs> so I was like, this is gonna be worth so much money. I swear, it's gonna be great. Yeah. I kept mine in a shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to find this Val Kilmer card. I saw it recently, and I'm like, this is. It's literally this like large acrylic thing with four screws around the sides to hold it in place and you could never get it perfectly centered because there was no like there's no way to get it to sit flush it's really bad for the record they did make batman and robin movie cards and you can buy the whole box set for 30 to 32 dollars so oh good i'm good i don't need that (laughs) it's a good movie yeah. Oh, yeah, I I do like now. I want to find these Universal Monsters ones though, because the the illustration in the magazine is Mike Mignola drawing the Bride of Frankenstein and, That's kind of cool. uh, and yeah, monster. And... I, I had, yeah, I had no idea these existed, and then I saw this in there, and it, it sounds really cool. So, Stephen, what is next? So next we have Jim and Todd's hype machine. So Jim Lee gets two mentions, I think. Todd McFarlane gets seven, I think. And I'm never going to forgive Adam for making me do all of this stupid counting where I have to go through page by page and look up Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. Uh, But yeah, that's what I got. And for the record, we're not doing the overall tallies. So when Adam finally returns, he'll have to go through all of these episodes, write down the numbers that Steven has said, and calculate it based on his last calculations to see what the overall count is, because ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> nobody got time. In all honesty, I think he should just do it himself, because I don't know if I'm getting accurate counts here. He probably will. Re- he's probably recounting it as we're reading, like, he's, he's wrong. It was three for, for, for Jim Lee. It was three! How did he miss this one? How did he miss it? <laughs> well, as mentioned in the last issue, Jim Lee's kind of on a bit of a sojourn from the comic book industry. He's not doing as much as he used to. So, I wonder why. And there you go. So then as we move towards the back pages of Wizard Magazine, here's a few things to look out for. There's an exclusive preview of Gen 13. And then in what was always one of my favorite sections, which I don't think we ever talk about, on the last page they have the Wizard profile where they you know interview either a writer or an artist in the comic book industry. This month's issue is with Roger Stern, who had just written the Death and Life of Superman novel, uh, kind of adapting the Death of Superman storyline. I read this when it came out. I loved it. It's really good. I kind of want to read it again. So yeah, that's where we are with that. That's pretty cool. I remember that book. I never read it, though. I, I did read novelization of... Nightfall? Not Nightfall. No, what was the other one? The With the earthquake. Batman and Robin? No. Batman um, Forever. No Man's Land. No Man's Land, yes. I read that one in college, and I like that. Yes, that was cool. Next, we're going to dive into one of my new favorite segments about this podcast is I'm going to kind of dub it like the David Letterman-style top 10 list. And for episode 30, our top 10 list has got a boatload of very fun 
interesting things to discuss for top 10 Wizards New Year's resolutions. All right. Number 10. Stop playing pranks on the Valiant offices by calling up, identifying yourselves as Jim Shooter, and asking to speak to that punk Layton. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty mean. (laughs) All right. I'll do number nine. Uh, number nine, quit sabotaging the image delivery trucks so they can ship books on time. <laughs> Classic joke. Number eight, stop putting subliminal satanic messages in Palmer's picks. <laughs> number seven feels, for some reason, it feels right. Flush when you're done. <laughs> I don't know why. I just like it. I like it so much. Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> Number six, stop selling all the gold logo books that companies send us to give away as contest prizes. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they, they had that like valiant gold foil chromium number one. They were giving that away for months. I was like, wait, is, when is this going away? When is this going away? <laughs> number five, be less kind and less gentle. Okay. All right. I don't know what that, I don't get it, but I, but I, I like it. I dig it. <laughs> number four. Stop referring to women as chickaroonies. I've never heard the term chickaroonie in my entire life. And I've never said it out loud until just now. And I absolutely hate it. (laughs) They're they're not really appealing to women with these issues and these jokes. But okay. No. No. (laughs) Uh, Number three, take it easier on Valiant in our annual softball game. They're really going after Valiant in this uh, this top ten list. (laughs) Yeah. This must have been some epic softball games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bunch of nerds playing softball. I'm sure that was very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number two, never, ever run multiple covers on Wizard again, not counting next issue. There's multiple covers on next issue? Yes, there are. There's a Lobo cover, and then there's one with all these different characters. Like, I I ordered it on eBay today for like 99 cents. So, (laughs) oh, great. (laughs) Yes. So I'll get that one. You Um, won't open it ever. You're damn right. (laughs) (laughs) And the number one Wizards top 10 New Year's resolutions for February of 1994 to ship out all Gen 13 number halves, not just keep the money and go to Vegas like we did with the max half offer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't think the Letterman writers were writing this. No, they were not. They definitely mm-hmm. were not. No, I love those Letterman top tens. That was my, one of my favorite things in the world in the 90s. But that's really it. That's everything to talk about in Wizard number 30. We covered quite a bit of stuff. And we did it in under two hours, which is incredible. I love it. It's amazing. Look Yay. at that. We're getting there. We, we even talked on tangent about action figures for a good 25 <laughs> minutes. Adam's <laughs> it was cutting that all out. This yeah. episode is going to be 14 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stacy, before we go, do you have anything to promote or shout out or, or bring people's attention to? Sure. So, as I've mentioned several times, I do take pictures of my action figures. Uh, you can find those on my Instagram, which is at Geeky Vixen. And also, I do a weekly podcast uh, called the long box guys because that was what the show was called when I joined it and we decided not to change it but it is just me and four other 
four guys talking about comics. And you can find that uh, if you just look up the Longbox guys. They're on Twitter uh, at the Longbox guys. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. This week we talked about The Tick. So, Ooh, ooh that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, it was a lot like of fun. That. So that's it for Wizard number 30. Until next time, beware the great cornholio and keep those books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.